You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. Your life is going to change. Jobs, kids, houses. Are you financially ready to enjoy the ride? Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with a financial advisor today. You've got a lot to look forward to, but it's always better to be prepared. Hey, everybody. I'm Jean Chatsky. Thanks so much for joining me today on Her Money. It was great to hear from so many of you after we dropped our bonus episode on all things taxes last month. If you didn't catch it, we'll link to it in the show notes because it's definitely worth a listen. We sat down with Robin Caruso, partner in the tax department at Prager Metis International, and we're so lucky to have her back with us today to tackle all of the unique tax questions that you sent in. Robin specializes in complex tax work. She assists her clients in handling federal and state tax resolution matters and audits. She also oversees accounting and financial planning for high net worth clients, and she's been in the industry for over 25 years. Robin, thanks for coming back. Thanks for having me back, Jane. It's nice to be here. Yeah, nice to have you. We got some really good questions from our Her Money listeners and from the community in our private Her Money Facebook group. You ready for them? Sure. Okay, here we go. Our first question today is from Kathleen. She says, hello. First and foremost, thank you, Jean and team, for all that you do to deliver honest, concise, and very informative financial information to us. Well, you're welcome. Thanks for saying that. Having been a fan for quite some time and have learned so much with each and every podcast, I thoroughly enjoyed the podcast with Robin and I wanted to submit a question in regards to the California stimulus funds and whether we're required to include those with our 2022 filing. I've been reading recommendations for us to hold off filing since the determination had not yet been made. The clock is ticking for filing and I know you'll be able to clarify this for all of us. Thank you. So Robin, as you answer this, when she's talking about the California stimulus funds, what are those? And is this something that people in other states have to worry about too? Well, first off, I want to say, Kathleen, that's a great question. And being in California and most of the states, you're in good shape right now. I have some great news. The IRS in February announced that the special payments received by states, which provided general welfare or relief, so think stimulus payments. We all know we got federal stimulus payments, and a lot of people in states got various payments. I believe there were 17 states, Gene, that provided people with benefits such as these. And the IRS has said these payments are not going to be taxable for most taxpayers. Most is the key word. And that you can go ahead now and file your tax return. The IRS did this in order to provide what they're calling sound tax administration. And they're saying that they will not challenge the taxability of these payments by, you know, that, that were received from the states. And now, why did I just say most? I said most because in Georgia, Massachusetts, South Carolina, and I believe Virginia, you need to include these payments in your income if, but only if, you hit these two parameters I'm going to mention. First, if you got a refund from your state for the taxes that you paid, 
and also received a federal benefit for the deduction in the prior tax year. So that means you have to have received a refund and you have to have benefited from that refund. Now, why wouldn't you benefit from the refund? That could happen if you took the standard deduction and didn't itemize, or if you're one of the people that fell prey to the the state and local tax limitations on our what we call SALT deductions. So state and local taxes, property taxes, when you add those all together, they created this new limit of $10,000. You'll see it on your Schedule A. So if you fell under that limit, you probably didn't benefit or if you didn't receive a refund, you didn't get one, and then this won't affect you anyway. So for most people, the majority of taxpayers, bottom line, these aren't going to be taxable. You're most likely exempted, got the standard deduction, or received no benefit. And for a handful of people in those four states mentioned, Georgia, Massachusetts, South Carolina, and Virginia, you want to make sure to check with your advisor or, or do some of your own research and make sure. And then the last thing to mention, Jean, but this is really out there, there are a handful of certain payments that some states made during this time that are included. These are odd things like Alaska permanent fund dividend, things I've never seen on, on tax returns that I've had to prepare. The IRS does have a chart that you can go to if you go to irs.gov forward slash newsroom, forward slash state dash payments, you can find this chart. But for Kathleen, you're safe. File your taxes. Now we know how you're going to spend your weekend. So congratulations on that. Our next question comes from Donna. She says, I inherited an IRA recently in 2023 and sold enough of it to pay off my mortgage. I thought I wouldn't have to pay tax on that sale until next year. But now, having done some research, it seems I actually need to pay the tax this April. Is this right? Are quarterly taxes owed if you sell stock? If I do need to pay tax this April on stock I sold in 2023, what do I use in place of a 1099? I ask because Schwab won't be producing my 1099 for 2023 until January 2024. And if taxes for this 2023 stock are due this April, do I do it separately from my 2022 tax return? I have that filled out already, and I don't see any place to add info about a 2023 stock sale. Thanks. Boy, oh boy, Donna, I would be confused too. What do you think, Robin? Well, I want to address the manner in which the question is presented, because Donna, you're talking about selling stock, but what you actually got was an inherited IRA, and there are stock inside of an inherited IRA, because all of our 401ks, IRAs, all these investment plans, they invest in mutual funds, stocks, all different types of vehicles. So you may have sold stock inside of the IRA that you inherited, but what really happened was you got a distribution of monies from an inherited IRA. And whenever we get monies from an inherited IRA, they're always treated as ordinary taxable income in the year of distribution. So the taxable income will be taxed to you for 2023 and reported on your 2023 return. And at some point, you should receive a 1099-R from the payer of the IRA, and I will get back to your question in a second, but I want to point out a few more things just to help other listeners. 
There's no 10% penalty on distributions from inherited IRAs. So even if you're under 59 and a half, you can take your money out from them. That's helpful. And another thing some people have to consider when they figure out how much tax do I owe on this distribution that I got, if for some reason you receive money from an estate that was really high dollar, they may have paid taxes on the estate. And there's a special tax deduction that you're going to have to consider when you do your calculations for your return. This is unusual. It's estates over 12.92 million right now. But I'd like to mention this because you never know. And also, who knows what will happen politically. Things change. The estate brackets may come down. Again, it might be something to think about later. Unless instructed otherwise, I would think that your payer would have withheld something when they made this distribution to you. So you're going to have to consider that also. IRS requires payers to take at least 10%. A lot of them take 20% out when they make a distribution from an inherited IRA. So that'll get taken into account. If you had a distribution like that, you will get a credit against your 2023 tax liability when you file the return in 24. Now to circle back to the question you actually asked us, when do people end up having to make estimated payments? What happens is that people have other income. They get distributions from things like this where maybe there was no withholding. You have interest, dividends, rent, other things. So you may need to make an estimated payment and that estimated payment can be due in 2023. So for people that got the distribution in 2023, they may have to pay tax in 2023. And this depends what happened to you possibly in the year before. So quarterly estimated tax payments are required for 2023. And this is confusing, but they're required when people have self-employment, unearned income, other things that cause you to owe taxes where there was no withholding during the year, like we get sometimes from our social security and wages and things like that. And the first quarterly payment is due on April 18th of 2023. Now, the next question, which you didn't ask is, how do I know how much I'm supposed to pay for this estimate that's due on the first quarter in 2023? And there's a couple of ways to do this. I don't know whether or not you had withholding on your distribution, but you'll take that into consideration. And then you have to understand that there are two safe harbors that the IRS offer to us that help people to avoid what we call estimated tax penalties. Those get assessed when in the prior year we owed a lot of tax and not all of it had withholding on it and so we're required to make estimates. So the first safe harbor is that we look at what we actually owe for 2023 and by the end of the year we need to have paid in at least 90% of what we actually end up owing for the year of 2023. This requires a projection. You might need help with this. A little bit tricky. But if we get at least 90% paid in collectively from with all the different kinds of withholding in our estimate payments, then we're safe from penalties. The second safe harbor is slightly trickier because it has two different thresholds. One threshold is for people who make 150000 or less. If you make 150000 or less, you need to collectively make withholding payments and estimated tax payments that equal at least 100% of your 2022 liability. And I may have confused you, so I'll give us a quick example. Let's say in 2022, you earned $100,000 and you owed $20,000 in tax. 
And part of that 100000 was because you had 10000 of interest in dividends. So you needed to make, you know, you'll need to pay a little bit in with estimates, not all just through your wage withholding. So in 2023, you're going to say, I owed 60 in 2022. I need to pay 100% of that amount. The 90% rule is for the current year. And then the other rule is people who make over $150,000. If you earn over $150,000, you have to look to what you had last year and your payments need to collectively be at least 110% of your 2022 liability. So this is tricky, but if you look these up online, if you just do a Google search and look for estimated tax safe harbors, you'll find these rules and, and that should be helpful. And if we have one moment, I'll just mention one or two things. There's something new that came out, Jane. It's the SECURE Act, and they just revised it again, if you recall. So a lot of people have older inherited IRAs, but if yours is from, I, I want to say 19 on, but if it's in the last two years, you have to take all of your money out over 10 years. That's for people who aren't a spouse. If you're a non-spouse, you're going to have to take that money out over 10 years. There are a handful of exceptions if somebody's disabled or chronically ill or for very young children or things like that. And a surviving spouse can actually take that IRA, that inherited IRA, and roll it right into their own account and wait and start taking their RMDs when they would choose to, you know, at the new rate age of 72, or it's going to become in a couple years, 75. All these things are changing under all the new tax laws. So every year you're going to want to really look these things up and make sure you're meeting your obligations on them. Oh boy, it's a lot. It is really a lot to wrap your brain around. So if I'm Donna, and this sounds confusing to me. Am I safe doing this on my own? If I'm using tax software, will it walk me through it to a satisfactory degree? Or do I need to call in a pro? I think it depends on Donna who you are and how financially savvy you are and comfortable with these things. Most tax software is going to give an interview and lead you through these questions. And if you look these things up online, you should, based on the guidelines that I gave you of either meeting the 90% of current or under 150, 100% of last year's tax, or make sure you pay in at least 110% if you're over 150, you should be safe looking this up. But if you're not sure, reach out to an accountant or you know a financial tax advisor for some help. Okay, let's do another one. This is from Brittany. Brittany says, and I think this is a little simpler. Can I use married filing separately as my status on my W-4, even if my husband and I file our taxes jointly? Last year, I selected my W-4 status as married filing jointly and then ended up paying a ton after filing taxes and my CFO at the time recommended the above scenario. But I wanna double check since I can't find any information on this online. In all scenarios, I'm claiming zero deductions as well. Thank you in advance. Oh, well, you know, in taxes, nothing simple. <laughs> I was hoping. I know, but this is another great question on Form W-4. And I have to be honest, I'm opening one up right now as we speak so I can look at it so I could answer your question for you correctly, Brittany. Because I will tell you, Jean, they've made the W-4 really complex in the last couple of years. W-4, when I was young, oh my gosh, it just filled out. There were a couple questions. It took two seconds. Now it's a complicated form and it's for good reason. The 
IRS developed a form that takes into account all sorts of scenarios, multiple jobs. Do I take standard or itemized deductions? Do I have lots of other income like we talked about in these other questions like interest, dividends, capital gains, and rent? So it's trying to make sure that our taxpayers are getting enough withholding to cover themselves so they don't find themselves in a position to get penalties for underpayment of tax during the year. And so they're actually tricky. And, and here's how I'm going to answer this one for you. Generally, I recommend following the instructions on the W-4, married person filing joint would select married filing joint on the W-4, and then they have to go and figure out which step is correct for them in their own situation. There are a handful of scenarios. So if Brittany's and her spouse, the one who's the higher earner, if the second earner is making more than half of what the higher earner is making, they could simply go to step two. I'm looking at it, step 2C, and check that box. The trick is you both have to do it. If both people don't check that box, this won't work out, and you'll find yourself underwithheld. So basically, is the answer to her question no? Like, that it has to match up? If she and her husband are married filing jointly, then she can't use married filing separately as her status? Or are you saying she can? Actually, I mean, at the end, what I would say to you is you could probably follow the advice of your CEO, list yourself as married filing separately, but then you put yourself at the risk that these forms aren't going to consider that you could have other income, multiple jobs, one of you, or self-employment income. I think you should follow the form. There's an alternative method. If you have multiple jobs, other income, all these things, or one of you is making substantially less than the other, you want to use that multiple job spreadsheet that's in there. And you might need to go to either your HR department or call your CPA for help in filling the W-4 out, Gene. But you're going to want to follow it because it's going to take all these different factors into consideration and ultimately give you the best result. I mean, basically her question is she didn't withhold enough because I think under withholding is a problem that you end up with a big tax bill. You're trying to solve that with status, but maybe the better scenario is to figure out based on how much you owed in taxes last year, how much you're likely to owe this year. And then can't you just, and I am so not a CPA, but can't you just tell them in numeric terms how much to withhold? You can actually. That's the alternate method. You're going to fill out that multiple job section that'll take into account the disparity in the income, the wage earner with the higher wages is going to fill out that multiple sheet and they're going to go to page four and use the chart and use that in order to fill out line one of that multiple sheet. And then they're going to figure out what additional tax they really need to withhold to cover themselves properly. And this gets filled out in step 4A. It's this extra payment line. And if you also have other income from things that there were no withholding on, like we talked about earlier, you can put that online. I think it's the first line in section four, but there's, I believe it's 4A so that you could avoid missing the estimated tax payments. 
And what I mean by that is if you go in there and you say, I make 12000 or 50000 or whatever you make of other income on that line, it will automatically consider it and increase your withholding to account for it so that you don't need to make estimated tax payments separately. And if you have self-employment income or other things and you fill out all the multiple job things right, the amount that you put on 4C for extra withholding should account for this. And if all else fails, the IRS has a tool, actually. I've used this for some of my clients. It's a tax withholding estimator. Whenever I do this, I think I just go and I Google W-4 calculator or IRS W-4 calculator and you'll find it. And you put your scenario in there and then you could figure out what extra amount you need to put on your W-4. It will help you do that. Okay. We are going to take one more question, but before we do that, let me just remind everyone that this show is brought to you by Edelman Financial Engines because life comes at you fast. There could be wedding bells on the horizon, a promotion around the corner, a grandchild on the way. Are you financially prepared for everything that life has in store? With a well-crafted plan, you can be ready. Visit planefe.com slash hermoney to schedule a free appointment with an advisor. You'll work with an expert to review your current situation to develop a long-term strategy to help you embrace life's biggest moments. Schedule your free appointment today. I'm talking with Robin Caruso, partner in the tax department at Prager Metis about all things taxes. Last question here, it comes from Molly. Hi, Jean, mom of a college-bound senior here. We don't have a lot saved for college, so tuition payments will largely be coming from my husband's pension, which he'll start collecting next month. He's still employed, but worked in the schools for 25 years. She does have a 529 account, and my state does offer the 529 tax break. I've been told it's better to funnel money into my daughter's 529 and pay tuition from that instead of making payments directly to the college. So this way we don't have to pay taxes on the income. Am I thinking about this correctly? Love your show. We love that you love our show, Molly. What do you think, Robin? I think yes. The best benefits that we get from a 529 plan come from the tax-free earnings on the growth of funds over time. So I agree, I would put whatever I can into my 529 plan rather than paying the tuition directly. I do want to say there's a couple of caveats here in my mind. First, I love the fact that your state does provide the breaks. Not all states give those to us. Some do, some don't. So the fact that you might get tax deductions or credits in your state, that's terrific. But I think the more important question in this particular scenario, because we mentioned taking money out of pension to fund this. So the question is, where do the best funds come from to put into the 529 plan? Because keep in mind, anything you take out of that pension fund as a distribution is going to instantly become ordinary taxable income to you for that tax year. I think there are a few alternatives you can look to ask for gifts towards your child's 529 plans from grandparents. I see people asking people to make all the graduation presents gifts into the 529 plan. That's one way to get extra funds into there. Great things about these plans are they don't expire. If your child doesn't use everything that you save up, you should leave the funds in there and let them grow tax-free. You don't want to take them out 
and use them improperly, there's a 10% penalty and it'll become ordinary income on all the earnings portion of the fund. And these can easily be held long-term, transferred to other, almost anybody qualifies as a family member. It's like uncles, cousins, you know, every, it's a lot of people that fall into that qualifying family member. You could even save that money for a grandchild one day. And there's a new rule that just came out this past year. It's going to start in 2024, where over time you could move up to 35000 out of a 529 plan if you're not going to use all that money for your child and put it into a Roth IRA year by year at whatever the annual limits are this year, 6500 So that's another terrific vehicle. Another thing, a person, I'm thinking outside the box here, and only because you're talking about pension funds, this always scares me, Jean. I have clients that take money out of their retirement funds and pensions for all sorts of things, and then they owe a lot of tax. And if they're under 59 and a half, sometimes they get penalties. A person can theoretically take money from a 401k if they have any of that type of money put away and roll that to an IRA. And then they could take money out of the IRA that's used for college funding and there's no 10% penalty then. So there are other outside the box ways to do this aside from the normal things we know like scholarships and things like that. And 529 plans can also have a slight impact on financial aid. So you might want to ask a specialist. I don't specialize in that area, but there are people who do and they can help you figure out the best way to handle your college funding. But any money you can put into a 529, especially if you're going to get state benefits or lower college tuition rates, I would say absolutely get that money in there and use it for tuition. Amazing. Robin, you have so much information in that head of yours. Thank you so much for sharing it with us. Oh, you're very welcome. (laughs) You know, I try not to overwhelm, but I want to educate and I really want to share you know, alternatives, make sure people aren't tripping up, getting into trouble, getting unnecessary penalties and causing future headaches for themselves. And so, you know, jumps around with all these different things that really need to be considered. Well, we love having you as a resource. Thank you so much for being here. My absolute pleasure. Thank you for having me back, Jean. Just a reminder that Her Money is supported by BCU. BCU is a great credit union that understands that financial freedom doesn't just happen at one single point, but rather at many different stages of life. That's why BCU likes to say they are here today for your tomorrow with support available at every stage of your financial journey. You can learn more about eligibility at bcu.org. Thanks for joining me today on Her Money. Thank you to Robin Caruso so for joining us again. As a reminder, 2022 taxes are due on Tuesday, April 18th. If you have not met with your tax preparer yet or sat down at your computer, now's the time. If you like what you hear, please subscribe to our show at Apple Podcasts. Leave us a review. We love hearing what you think. We'd also like to thank our sponsors, Edelman Financial Engines and BCU. We produce this podcast out of CDM Sound Studios. Our music is provided by Video Helper and our show comes to you through Megaphone. Thank you so much for joining us and for the great questions, everybody. We'll talk soon.